Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. And a good day to you, wherever you may be listening. We appreciate it. As always, it is Monday, August 27th, 2018. This is episode 168 of the Anik and Florian Podcast. I'm not sure how we got there, but we're happy you've been along for, for part or all of the ride. Uh... Today's show brought to you by Mayrocky BJJ. We have the co-founder and owner Ken Flo with us today. Ken Flo, I'm thinking the uh, the BJJ fundamentals class tonight, seven fifteen for me. What do you think? I I think you should be there. I think you should be there. We'll put you through the ringer. Though. Just you white belts allowed. Always white belts allowed. Yeah. So we do. We so we try to separate it. We do fundamentals. We do just white belts. I mean, other, we, we do get other higher ranks who, who can come and join the class, but that is specifically built for uh, learning the fundamental, learning the fundamentals, learning the basics of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite popular, man. Eleven six seventy seven Santa Monica Boulevard, <laughs> Los Angeles, California. Call them today four two four three eight nine forty thirty eight. Tell them John and Accenture, That's what right. can you do for me? And just see what they say, you know. Kemflo's not answering phones, but see what the, <laughs> they say. You know, down here in South Florida, by the way, we have Meraki Beauty Studio. Do you really? Know that? Three I, different locations in Florida. Trying to steal my name. Wow. I was going to say, uh, Meraki BJJ's attorneys will be contacting Meraki's <laughs> Beauty Studio. Hopefully they don't predate Meraki BJJ. But uh, it's good to see you, man. I know it was a busy weekend for you. We always love when we force you to make the quick turn post-fight show right to the Anakin Florian podcast. I know you asked Fox if we can just 
repurpose that audio from the post-fight show. I'm very upset with you. I'm very upset with you. (laughs) I told you, I told you, I texted you that I wanted to pick Gaethje, except Ah. I texted you after the fight, so. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. But I did pick, it. It for the me. record, for the record, I want people to know, I picked Gaethje on UFC Tonight, and I picked Gaethje on the pre-show. So, right. <laughs> and there were a lot of different reasons why you picked James Vick on this show. And yeah. part of it was because you're, you're chasing on the scoreboard of the main yeah. event challenge, and you need points. So that yes. was a part of it. Uh, and maybe there were some other layers to it as well. But certainly when our guest picker went Gaethje, I think there was some impetus for you to go the other way, and you articulated as much. But it was funny because when you set up your Vic pick, uh, you talked a lot about Gaethje's boxing and set up the scenario for Justin to win so much so that I had written down Gaethje, and then <laughs> and I went you know back, me too well. You, you know the code words I use. I know. But I know. alas, it's a losing week for you. And if you want me to update the standings, I will. You lost the week six three. So from ninety six eighty six. Good on our man Giovanni Romagnoli, by the way, from the UK. One hundred two eighty nine for Team Anik. So. Again, we saw that lead shaved to eight points. Not Molto all that long bene. ago. Back Molto up to bene. 13. Molto bene. Good job. That was good. All right. So I know people like to bang on Ken Flo for his predictions, but he does reserve the right on the Anakin Florian podcast to make a pick on Monday and then six days later on Saturday make a change. He just has to text me before beforehand. He did not I in this case. I officially did not uh, text you. But enough about all of that fucking bullshit. Yeah. Let's talk about Justin Gaethje because when I retire as a UFC commentator, I'm going to walk around in a Team Gaethje t-shirt. I can't do it now because i got to be objective. But this guy is the man, Kenny, truly an elite fighter, an absolute sicko. How can you not just love everything about this kid and be happy for him to, in a rivalry-type matchup here, or at least one that had some heat for him to close the show and not just knock James Vick out, but to literally put him to sleep with one punch? You know, I think so many times when you see someone who shines in any field, it typically is because they remained authentic uh, to who they are and what they're about. Uh, no matter what was going on around them, they were they allowed that to shine, and and that's who Gaethje is. You know, everyone's saying, Gaethje, why don't you fight smarter? Why don't you try to win rounds as opposed to try to knock people's teeth out? Well, that's his style, and you know what? It works. And this is a guy who gets paid very well. Um, and, and in my opinion, you look at the, probably the last, I don't know. 10 years, you know, when the UFC brought it, brought over a lot of talent from other organizations, that has to be the top three signings for the UFC that they've ever done because he's a guy that you know is going to deliver action every single time out. He is absolutely fearless. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's very few people, when you strap on those four-ounce gloves, that are willing to get in the pocket and trade trade not only to just you know they're kind of wincing or whatever Gaethje is looking you right in your eye and he's trying to knock your head off there's very few people that are willing to do that um and and there's very few people that are willing to put their lives on the line every single night out Gaethje it it doesn't matter Gaethje is willing to die in the octagon like I I hate to say that but he really is and there's just very few people that are willing to do that Right, and I used to say there are two groups of fighters, those that are willing to get knocked out and those that aren't. And there are some fighters that when push comes to shove and it's Mm -hmm. the end of a fight that they are clearly losing, they are not willing. And whether it's fear or something else, they're not willing to get knocked out. And I think when you parlay Gaethje's athleticism and his toughness mentally and physically with 
Trevor Whitman and the boxing skills and that system, you've got one very difficult fighter. And I know the recent results coming into this fight weren't great. You know, it's hard to believe that this could have been a third consecutive loss for Justin Gaethje if he didn't come through as betting underdog in this situation. But what a, a huge just injection of force into this lightweight division. Four fights, more bonuses than fights for Justin Gaethje at this yep. point in time. And, you know, coming off the Dustin Poirier fight, a lot of people wondered where Justin Gaethje would be at. And I think this result tells you exactly where he is at. And he set himself up for another big one. I know he called out Tony Ferguson after the fact. Ferguson has a fight, which we'll get to here shortly. But what do you think the future holds for Justin Gaethje on the strength of what he did this weekend? Honestly, he can write his own ticket to a lot of other fight night main events. That's for sure. Um, yeah. If you want to put on a main card on a pay-per-view, I think that'd be a smart choice as well. But um, I think he has guaranteed himself a spot uh, as a main event for any UFC fight night, uh, you know, going forward. Um, you know, I don't know how long he's going to be fighting for. I don't know if he's ever going to be a champion. He has a style that allows him to beat anyone in the division, but also he's susceptible to getting beat by anyone in the division. Um, right. by, by most. I would say the elite. I don't want to say anybody, but as far as the elites, the top 10, maybe top 15 in that very tough 155-pound division, he could get knocked out. But I, I tell you what, I like his chances against a Tony Ferguson because Tony Ferguson isn't the most technical guy in the world. He's a guy who kind of leads with his chin, who is known for his toughness and determination. Um, that would be an absolute classic, if not the next fight, maybe the one after that. And, and that is one of those I think will go down as history in history as one of the greatest fights uh, in that division. Um, both those guys are absolute beasts. And, and oh. you know, the good thing in this last fight for Gaethje, he didn't take any damage. Yeah, I think it was a couple leg kicks, maybe one or two leg kicks that right. kind of slapped right. him and maybe one or two down, down to the body. Uh, but that was it. He, I don't think he got hit in the head once. So uh, a good right. result, uh, but also a good fight for Gaethje where he didn't suffer any damage. Right. It was one minute and 27 seconds uh, flush knockout for Justin Gaethje. And you are absolutely right. This is a main event fighter. He's headlined three times in four UFC appearances. And I like him aiming high, too, even though Tony Ferguson recently got matched up with Anthony Showtime Pettis. I'm not sure if Gaethje was wholly aware of that when yeah. he put forth that call out. But Hey, given the fact that this fight only lasted 90 seconds, um, perhaps Gaethje can throw himself on standby for October 6th, but in all likelihood, he's going to be headlining, you know, before the year is out. Justin Gaethje, a huge win over James Vick. And that brings us to James Vick, who called this the worst night of his life on Instagram. And if it was the worst night of his life, he's had a pretty good life, you know, all things considered. Yep. But this was not good for James Vick. I thought he did get a few things done early. Ken Flo seemed to be finding a home for that left kick and putting something behind it, landing to the body and landing low. But uh, what do you say about James Vick? One right hand lands and, and Vick is down and out. You know, one of the disadvantages of having uh, certain physical characteristics that your opponents do not have, and, and I mean those as far as advantages those could actually be disadvantages uh because you get away with a lot of things you know when you're stronger than everybody in the gym when you're faster than everybody in the gym sometimes you rely on those physical traits and you don't work on the technical aspects of the fight um and he would drop his hands a lot in his fight his chin would be very high those are things you just can't do at an elite level and you're six foot three and you'll get away with it against most guys 
but uh, not a guy like Justin Gaethje who can move his head off the center line, get on the inside. He's going to be fearless, getting to the pocket. And if you look at his fight, even his last fight against Ronaldo, there are these moments where you're kind of going, oh, geez, if Ronaldo just was like right. maybe an inch closer or if he just kind of had his fist go a little bit straighter, he would have caught Vic really badly. And even some of the shots he did catch, you just go, man, Vic really needs to improve that. Well, hopefully James looks at this fight and goes, okay, I, I have to be more technically sound. I have to be more defensively responsible. I cannot back myself up against the octagon. Uh, with nowhere to go and drop my hands and have my chin way up in the air, especially against a guy like Igechi. So for Vic, he has some work to do. Um, in this game, there are uh, some hard lessons you have to learn. I've experienced yeah. multiple uh, lessons in the octagon, and um, sometimes you, you're not able to see those things. You think, yeah, you know what, I can get away with it. You get caught like that, and, and you have to just face reality and go, I'm going to work on that and, and come back better. And the good news for James Vick, he falls to 9-2 and two in the UFC, which is still a shiny mark for him in this 155-pound division. Didn't seem as focused to me. And I know James Vick well, as many of you know, dating to the Ultimate Fighter Live in 2012. So I, I, I don't make that statement trying to create a headline. I don't know if he just liked this matchup, Ken Flo, and thought there were things that he could exploit. But I didn't see that that nastiness necessarily during fight week that I saw at other times out of him. I don't know, man. There was just a different look in the eyes of James Vick. You know, maybe it looked a little bit softer to me, but he said he was in shape and didn't have any excuses. But Vick, at, at, at the very least, I think can take advantage of the shine that this main event spotlight afforded him and, and have another big fight next. But the story is Justin Gaethje, man, in this one for me. And uh, I don't know if you had one more comment on Vic I before did. we move on, my man. I did. I think a lot of that had to do with the tension he was carrying on his shoulders from really the statements that he made about Gaethje, calling him a B-level fighter, saying he didn't deserve to be in the UFC. And I think those thoughts started to resonate in his head a little bit as he made that walk. And I agree with you. Even on Wednesday when I talked to him for UFC Tonight, he seemed very nervous. Uh, and, and again, yeah. this is authenticity of just Justin Gaethje knowing what he is and what he's about and James Vick. I don't know if James Vick truly believed all those things he was saying uh, about right. Justin Gaethje. Um, and I, I think it kind of those words came back to bite him and, and he was feeling the pressure on fight night. I mean, did you see Justin Gaethje in that inspection zone, Ken Flo? I mean, yeah. he, the look on his face was like, I'm going to go in there and fucking kill this kid. He, like, he, he has no idea. He lives for that shit. It doesn't matter. He he has no regard for his life. It, it doesn't matter. He he just wants to punch someone in the yeah. face. That's a dangerous yeah. guy. When someone has no regard for their own well-being, that is a very, very dangerous man. And I can assure you there are a lot of fighters who wish they were cut from that cloth and and could go in there. Uh, with sort of reckless abandon uh, the way he does. And I will just say in closing on Gaethje, as John Candy said famously in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. And that is Justin Gaethje in a nutshell. And that is the way you led Kenny. And that is Justin Gaethje, man. Yeah. He is who he is. He is unchanged. And thank God he's in the UFC, right? Because we've seen other names like Michael Chandler, who I would love to see in the big show, you know, not come over. Thank God we got Justin Gaethje, man. He's a good one and yep. certainly proved as much over the weekend. Um, Co-main event, Michael Johnson over Andre Feely by split decision. Any major thoughts on this, Ken Flo? I thought it was a close fight for Michael Johnson. This is huge, right? I mean, we set up sort of his back being up against the wall on last week's show. And by split decision or by DQ, any means necessary, Michael Johnson needed the W next to this one, and he got it. Oh boy, did he need this one. Uh, and he did it against a very tough Andre Feely. Uh, 
Feely, I was a little surprised by his uh, approach in this fight. He was a little bit more aggressive, and I thought he was a little bit too emotional. Um, it's such a balancing act, you know, finding out how you compete uh, best in the octagon. You know, do I ramp up my emotions? Do I get fired up? Do I, do I try to be calm but not too calm? And, and that can change throughout your career. Um, based on your results. Uh, and I think Feely maybe turned up the volume a little bit too much for that fight. It seemed a little bit too emotional. I think he's fighting best when he is actually backpedaling and trying to counterfight. And he didn't quite do that in this fight against Michael Johnson. Perhaps because Michael Johnson was very similar in weight and size. Feely's typically the bigger guy, and he could do that against shorter fighters. Uh, maybe right. that's why he switched it up. Nonetheless, it was a very, very close fight that really could have gone either way. Um, Michael Johnson did a good job of showing his speed. He still has it 145 pounds. I still thought he was the faster guy, but I thought it was right. Feely who was using his reach very well. He was going upstairs uh, with that kick, uh, with that right kick upstairs against Southpaw Michael Johnson. I just thought he needed more variety in this fight. Um, Feely's going to learn from the miss. I, I still think he has tremendous potential, and I would not be surprised yeah. if he fought for the belt one day. Um, this right. is one he's going to learn from. Michael Johnson just a little bit too much, too, little uh, too much experience, and Michael Johnson got himself out of some very dangerous spots. Johnny almost got submitted uh, with a triangle, with an arm lock, uh, with a rear naked choke. Uh, he did some good job. He did a good job there uh, of uh, escaping but needs to improve his grappling skill. Philly was taking advantage on the ground, like, immediately. Yeah. No, I think you set up both guys well, and I share your optimism for Andre Feely. I really do. Yeah. I feel like on any given Saturday night as he continues to evolve, he can compete with the 145-pound division's best. And really well-rounded. I know we trotted out there too much in mixed martial arts circles, but he really is becoming a well-rounded fighter that can beat you in a number of different ways. But yeah. this one goes to Michael Johnson, and, and good for him making that weight cut back-to-back down to 145 pounds and at least it seems as though his immediate future is going to be in the featherweight division after he gets a big win a couple other main event highlights i want to get to before we bring raymond peter longo into the conversation brian barberina knocks out jake ellenberger two minutes and 26 seconds into round one and i'll be very candid with the audience part of the impetus for putting jake ellenberger on the show last week was in part because we both thought that maybe it would be the last opportunity we would get to talk to him as an active UFC fighter, and he was a massive betting underdog. It was a very quick turn after he was knocked out by Ben Saunders June 1st in Utica, New York. The odds were stacked against Jake Ellenberger. I'm happy he got to lay down the gloves and announce his retirement there in his native Nebraska, Ken Flo, but certainly not the result he was looking for. And, and when you look at his big-picture career going from 29-6 and six to 31-15, and 15, the narrative on Jake Ellenberger's career changed profusely over the last three or four years and, and hopefully that's something that that he's okay sitting with because the tide really turned for him and and when you look at the body of work man it's crazy how it changed when you're involved in such a physical sport like mixed martial arts uh there is a time limit folks there is a time limit uh you can't fight forever um and he had a style that uh involved him in, in, in a lot of crazy brawls uh he was mainly a striker a wrestler striker um and you know his chin just wasn't what it should be like even if you look at this fight against uh, Barbarena it wasn't a hard shot um and, and you know sometimes it, it, it's shot that you don't see are the ones that hurt you but this was not the same Ellenberger from eight years ago right I mean it's right. just completely different this guy was known for his chin now he was not you see that a right. lot in this sport guys who had amazing chins and all of a sudden overnight 
they do not. And he's had a lot of knockouts back to back to back. And um, there comes a point where you just got to say, you know what? I, I Yes, I love doing this. I still love to fight. I still make a good paycheck. I want to support my family. But I, I, I got to look out for myself. I got to look out for my own health. And and uh, you don't want to see one of the good guys in Jake Ellenberger get hurt, uh, you know, where there's some kind of permanent damage. Um, and I think this was the right time. Uh, maybe he could have retired even a few fights ago. But Ellenberger, you know, he's a warrior. And a lot of times when you do something for a very long time, that becomes your identity. It's hard to say goodbye. Um, but uh, this was a goodbye uh, for, for Jake Ellenberger. And, uh, again, just a, a true gentleman in this sport, a great guy. I'm glad we got a chance to talk to him. And, um he made the right decision there against a tough Barbarena, and congrats to Barbarena as well. You know, the story was all about Ellenberger, but Barbarena right. uh, got himself another nice win, a quick win, and uh, yep. he moves on in that division. Yeah, no, I like the MMA Labs, Brian Barbarina for sure. I think he could be a force at 170 pounds. And I will say, Longo, I know you're on hold, but for Jake Ellenberger, I think part of the issue, Kenny, is when you're still improving in training and you still feel like you're making yeah. strides and becoming a better fighter, you feel like, man, let me get back out there. But I think this was – a, a perfect for Jake Ellenberger in the sense that it proved to him and anyone who had any right. reservations that the chin is just gone and, and it's time to walk away. And, and again, I said 29 and six to 31 and 15, but you should see the guys he's lost to, you know, not an easy out among them. So congrats to Jake Ellenberger on an outstanding UFC career. And his name is, is littered across the UFC welterweight record books when it comes to knockdowns and a lot of other categories. So congrats to Jake Ellenberger as he moves into retirement, nowhere near retirement. Ray Longo, let's get to him. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Well, Flo, man, do Ray Longo and I live different lives these days. I am just in it with three kids. Like, my whole world's going to hell. And this guy <laughs> is going skins on Instagram for the world to see. I guess flaunt it if you've got it, Ray Longo, right? I can say I'm, I don't even know if I'm talking to him today for doing that. Sarah. <laughs> I, I'm not even know if we, we might even we might not be talking for a while. This could be a two weeker. But uh, so, hey, all I got is one thing to say, John. I'm going to Russia, rich buddy. <laughs> you are. Franco, yes, get the you big did. suitcase. We're rich. You. This is huge. Yep, just, you're absolutely right. That, Thank you very much, Justin Gaethje. I'm going to buy you something in Russia when I get there. <laughs> well, if you missed last week's episode, Ray Longo made $100. He correctly predicted Justin Gaethje as betting underdog to beat James Vick. So you're up to $250 oh provided you go to Russia. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I really don't. This is like a dream come true, guys. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with the money. You know? so, so we you saw you sunbathing. Good to see that I, things I, don't go good for you. You could be an Elvis impersonator. Really yeah, looks yeah. good with the glasses. I, I really thought Elvis I don't know was if, on the show. I, I don't know if it's a, a midlife crisis, but I'm I've, I'm having some issues these days, Ray, and that's the glasses <laughs> today. But for the people who are just ingesting this via audio, uh, you're not missing anything. But I just Two, want last and, thing, uh, and then we'll move on to mixed martial arts. I, I'm seeing you on Instagram, no shirt, sunbathing after a hard pad session like you're 22 years old again. I mean, like, are your daughters, like, are they seeing you going skins on Instagram in 2018? I th I'm going to tell you something. My whole family doesn't even know what I do at this point. They have no, no clue. 
No clue. I'm not allowed to mention anybody's name. I got rules in my house. I can't mention anybody's name. If they knew I put up a picture of them, they're crazy. I don't know. They want nothing to do with any type of limelight or anything. But uh, yeah, I'm saying they have no clue. And it's funny. You don't want the limelight. It just finds you. You're in all these short films and podcasts and everything else. Uh, life is good, John. Life is, life good. is good. Come on. <laughs> All right. So Justin Gaethje, you know, I, I, I just love this guy, man. I love everything about him. Uh, and I think that UFC fans really are starting to embrace this guy. Obviously he's had a lot of high profile opportunities. This was his third UFC main event. Man, did he maximize the showcase this weekend, Ray? And I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm agreeing with you hundred percent because I, I'm in that category. I think after this fight, I really embrace just Justin Gaethje different than I did even before that. I really, I love the sincerity. I love his honesty. I love his commitment to the sport. I love his do or die attitude. There's a, I think this guy's a good dude, man. Like, again, I had the, I had the pleasure of just talking to him for a couple of minutes in Vegas. He seemed like a nice, humble, good dude, man. And I, yep. I wish the guy the best. I really do. I thought that was a phenomenal fight for him. His back was against the wall. You know, he had two losses, two wars that could take a toll on you. And he fought a, a real problem in James Vick with the height and everything. And I'm glad he got the job done the, and the way he got it done. I think that's that spells Justin Gaethje right there. And, and right, you know, with his fighting style, I, I think he has the ability to beat anyone or lose to anyone in, in the top 10. But do you think he could be a champion uh, in this sport, in the UFC? Uh, uh I'm starting to believe, yes, he can. Mm-hmm. I really do. He's got to, I mean, I'd love to, we've talked about this before, Kenny. I'd love to see him. I think this was the first time we saw him with a little more patience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a little more calculated. And uh, I think that's going to serve him, serve him well. And I'm going to tell you something, Kenny. You give this guy anybody, like, below, like, above, like, a number five ranked guy or an eight, he's going to, he's going to roll right through him, I think. He's got that type of style. Right. And I think he's bringing that X factor in. Everybody knows they're going to be in for a fight, you know. And I'm, I, I and I got to tell you, I'm not sure if he had a rematch with with Dustin or Eddie Alvarez. He doesn't win those fights. I mean, he was in that fight. That, those fights, uh, you know, came down to attrition. And I think he makes a couple of adjustments. He's getting those losses back. That's a great point. And I can almost assure you, if Sean Shelby texted Dustin Poirier and said, do you want to fight X or Y? And why is Gaethje? He probably doesn't care who the other guy is. He's fighting the other guy, man. You know, I mean, ripped his quad to shreds, you know? Exactly. So I just want to ask you a question because UFC 228 is on the horizon here coming up September 8th. And I know next week when we talk to you, much of the focus will be on Aljamain Sterling. But you cornered Matt Serra when he beat George St. Pierre as a massive betting underdog. And I don't know if I want any specifics on this matchup between Nico Montano and Valentina Shevchenko, right? But there are some similarities to be drawn here. Nico Montano is probably the biggest championship underdog in UFC history in terms of the, the incumbent as betting underdog. What do you advise the fighter in that situation? Because you can't help but have some doubt creep in if you're Montano when Shevchenko has been almost anointed the champion before she even fights for the title. Like, if you're those coaches, forget the physical stuff. Mentally, what are you trying to say to Montano to get her head in a good place so she can go defend this belt and win the fight? I mean, look, obviously you want to, you know, you you really want to set up a training schedule for her where she's uh, 
you know, where she really learns how to develop the belief in herself and that you bring in certain people that could mimic what's going on and whatever. I, I think this for Montoya, it's going to be more of a head game physically. Yeah. I'm saying as a coach, she's totally out of that fight. I mean, this is right. a weird situation because uh, Valentin is a, 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 is a cold stone killer and she's going up against a girl. I think it's different than Matt's case. Matt was a fighter in the UFC with a comeback story. This girl really has never gotten a chance to develop or fight other people in the UFC. You know, she was on a show with other people that, that, that developed a champion. Uh, I mean, I could almost make a case for the athletic commission saying they're not going to let the fight happen. I mean, the experience right. different between these, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's not like Montoyo was in the UFC and she beat the champion, the current champion. Of course they created a division and she became the champion. So the odds are really stacked against her. You know, even Matt, right. he had to fight other people that were already in the UFC that maybe had notable wins over other people. There were there was much more to work with with Matt. You know, he had a pedigree of jujitsu at the time, which was phenomenal. You know, I'm not see this is a really big challenge for this kid. I mean, I would say if Montoya won, that would be by far the biggest upset ever because I think she's in a lot of trouble in this fight. But uh, to answer your first question, I would just try to get squared away and really, you know, along the way, really develop the belief that you could do it and to try to find a weakness uh, in Valentina, which I think is going to be hard to do. I mean, psychologically, with Matt and St. Pierre, uh, Matt was psychologically at a way higher level than George at the time. You know what I mean? He knew George had certain... uh, uh, you know, like again, I think he knew he, George was a nervous fighter because George had coached him on season four. So mentally, I think Matt felt he had a huge advantage going in there. Matt was, you know, Matt's a fighter at heart, man. He was a street fighter. Had some serious skills, fight. you know. Brazilian, yeah. elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, yeah. knockout power. He wasn't a one-trick pony. There's a lot of ways that he could have exactly. potentially won that fight where – you know, Montagna here, she's outgunned. I mean, oh, no, no, this is a problem. I'm yeah. telling you, Kenny, I can make a case for the athletic commission saying we're not letting the fight happen. That's how bad it is. I mean, I that's how I'm feeling. And I don't want to get down because, like, again, I think it's uh, anything could happen in MMA. But, you know, like with Matt, Matt was a phenom at Henzo Gracie's. Yeah. You know what I mean? And George was training there. So I'm sure he had to hear all the stories of guys that were tapping him that were getting killed by Matt. Right. So we we knew, you know what I'm saying? We knew that George thought Matt was going to want to take this to the floor. And we really had no, we didn't have one desire to go to the floor with that fight. I, I squared him away as best I could standing up. We knew a couple of things. I saw a couple of things. And he, he was the guy that was going to exploit it. And that's what we did. But I knew that George, just hearing about Matt at the academy could be psychologically debilitating you know what i mean that's what i was banking right. on anyway and uh at that time matt again i mean he was one of the best jujitsu black belts there was at the time you know so we, it was a little different i think but montoyo's really got a handful it's like it's a i think it's a totally different thing yeah no and i did not intend to force the parallel and matt sarah will probably never oh, no, take no, my no, phone call no, again no. I think it's, no it's good that you did it. i'm just saying i you know, when you're asking me to analyze it, I'm like, well, when I first heard about right, this fight, right. I'm like, wow, this is not, this is really almost uneven, like completely. And it's not like you won a championship, you defended it a couple of times or anything, or you beat, you know, she's, 
really hasn't had the ability to grow yet. And that's, uh, that's, that's to me is the problem, you know, where Valentina, look at all the fights she's had. Now this is her natural well, weight right. class. They, they didn't even have this weight class, you know? So, oh, this is tough, man. Really tough. Yeah, yeah man. Well, and that's why I think I was soliciting the coaching advice because I feel like you sit Nico Montano down to watch film of Shevchenko. That's not going to put her head in a good place, right? You know, where to even begin yeah. to watch film? Uh, on Valentina yeah, yeah, Shevchenko, yeah. right? With all you know, the UFC you know, experience yeah. that's been accrued and all the striking accolades and everything else, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you're right, though, man. Watching those tapes, that was almost like Anderson Silva. I didn't want to watch Chris watching a highlight tape of that guy because that guy had a highlight reel from hell. You know what I mean? It's yeah, hard right. not to get in your head when you're looking at this guy humiliating people over the last seven years. So right. I would... Look, I'm gonna if I'm her coach, I'm gonna find one thing that I think is a weakness, and that's all I'm gonna base everything around. And it's it's gonna be kind of like a hail mary. You're gonna have to take a shot. There's nothing else she could do. But I mean, she just doesn't have the chops to be in there with that girl right now. I don't I don't think in one area of this fight. Well, we'll find out. UFC 228 September 8th, and next week, Ray, an opportunity for you to win another C note, Darren Till. Tyron Woodley will get the pick from you <laughs> next Monday. We'll get the update on Aljo and all that good stuff. Uh, thinking, anything I'm else cooking, my man? Ally Quinta maybe getting a date? What's going Ray's on? Ray's going to retire soon. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm taking the money and run. I'm not a gambler. <laughs> I want my money. <laughs> oh, wait, yo, you want an opportunity to cash out right now at $250? Is that what you're telling me? I don't want an opportunity. I'm telling you I'm cashing out. There's oh, okay. No all right. We <laughs> might have to money. figure out a way to change the stakes because I was hoping you could get this thing up to a dime or something, and then we're really making money here. But uh, I know you got a busy day. Uh, I know you had a bad pad session this morning, so we'll let you get back to it, my man. Thank you. <laughs> we're all good. I'm going out in the back by the trains again. I'm going to sit out there and contemplate the meaning of life. All right, do it. Keep your shirt on today, but we'll talk to you next week. All right, and I love the glasses, John. Thank you, man. Has Thank anybody you. Seen We're going to keep them around. That's all I got to say, Kenny. <laughs> Has anybody seen Priscilla? <laughs> Take it easy. Well, I'm going to keep them. They'll be here next yeah, week. Thank them. you, Ray. All right, Ray Longo. Take it easy. With us every week here on the Anakin <laughs> Florian Podcast. And interesting conversation developed there, Kenny, in terms of Matt, Sarah, George, St. Pierre. But Nico Montano and Valentina Shevchenko, I, I brought it up because seemingly Nico Montano is really up against it come September 8th. Not, not just in terms of the betting odds, but just in terms of what type of performance she's going to have to put forth to beat Valentina Shevchenko. So I just would ask you as an MMA mind, as I asked Ray as a coach, like, what do you do to try to hammer in some self-belief and just to give your fighter, even though she's up against it, the best chance to try to shock the world? Right. Um, listen, I don't know the whole thing about self-belief. If you get a, if you get a fighter who is not confident in themselves – I don't know if they should be there in the first place. I think the best approach is to show them what they need to do technically to win the fight, where they need to stay away uh, from the dangers of, of, of Valentina Shevchenko, for example, and what they need to do fundamentally to win that fight. Um, that's not easy either. That That's the problem. Right. Um, you know, Shevchenko's coming in here with so much experience, but also I, I think if you're going to talk about the mental aspect, you hammer home the fact that, she was the underdog on the Ultimate Fighter. No one really gave right. her a chance. She didn't have a whole lot of experience, but she went out there and won the fight anyway. She won each and every fight, and she was the underdog every single time out. So 
I, I think you kind of hammer that home more than anything else, but I, I think you got to talk about the technical skills that she needs uh, to win that fight more than the mental aspects. I think she's mentally tough. I think she proved that in the Ultimate Fighter. Yep. And next week, we will get a prediction from Ken Flo, and he'll tell you and outline what Nico Montagna does need to do strategically to defy the odds and be the first woman in UFC history to successfully defend the Women's Flyweight Championship. All right, a couple other things, few items on Lincoln, and then a couple other headlines, time permitting. Davison Figueiredo, a winner by TKO over John Moraga. So if you don't know this Brazilian flyweight contender, you're going to hear the name soon. Just don't ask me to spell it. I can say it, but he's 15-0, Ken Flo. 13 finishes, 4-0 in the UFC, third knockout in the UFC, a stoppage of the UFC-tested John Moraga over the weekend. I know you're not all in yet on Figueiredo, but certainly another injection of nice talent into a division that could use it. I got my feet in the water, though. I tell you that. I, I yeah, think man. this is a guy who can go. He's aggressive. He's always looking for the finish. Um, I was impressed with him. You know, I said in the pre-fight show, but this is a guy that it seems like you wind him up, you put some powerful batteries in him, you slap yeah. him on the ass, and he goes out there and fights, and he does not stop moving. Wow, what a problem that guy is. Um, he is fun to watch, man. Exciting. He's got skills everywhere. Um, and, again, he beat a guy in Moraga who's pretty damn tough, and he made it look very easy. Just crushed him with the elbow. That's really what started it. Then he took him down uh, with some other punches that put him down. Um, man, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, he's an exciting fighter to watch, and I think he has a yeah. style that a lot of fans are going to be able to relate to. And Moraga, man, just so tough. You know, and then throwing a spinning back fist, I believe, of his own that sort of put him back in the fight. That that, that, that one had a lot of different layers. Yeah. But I just think when you look at this flyweight division now that is run by Henry Cejudo, Alex Perez, who was on the show recently, Jared Brooks, Jose Torres, there are a lot of young, talented flyweights that I'm excited to see um, going forward. All right, Tony Ferguson, we led the show with him last week. Yeah. He now has an opponent. It'll be Anthony Showtime Pettis, UFC 229. That's the co-main event on the night that Conor McGregor fights Khabib Nurmagomedov. I love that Ferguson is on this timeline. I love that he is on this fight card. And seems like he felt disrespected by Team Pettis back in 2014 when both of these guys competed and won by submission at UFC 181. So nice little backdrop to this co-main event. And as we said last week, El Kukui is back. He now has an opponent. This is a fight, man. I, I love this fight. I saw this announcement from Pettis earlier, and I said, whoa, because <laughs> not only is this a great fight for Pettis to really get back in the mix, obviously his last fight was phenomenal. That was uh, the Anthony Pettis that I think a lot of people have been waiting for for the last few years. He showed up. He looked great. Um, he's in the right division. He's no longer fighting at 145. And Ferguson does make mistakes. He's not the most technical guy, but he is very, very tough. He's a guy that, of course, can give a lot of problems to Anthony Pettis. Uh, I could see Ferguson uh, finishing this one, but I can also see Pettis getting the finish in this one as well. If that last Pettis showed up, man, a win over Ferguson would put him right into the top five all of a sudden, it seems. Uh that is a risky fight for Tony Ferguson. You look at everything that Tony Ferguson has done, um, all of his wins, all his momentum, all of his consistency, and he's taken a, taken on a guy and Pettis who has just recently found his form again. That's a tough one. But again, you know Ferguson, he's not going to say no to a fight. Right. And that's the rub for me. This is just a fighter's fighter because if he wanted to bide his time and, and allow himself more time to heal and try to return in a championship setting, Ferguson would certainly have a case to do that, right? It's a yeah. double-digit win streak that he's putting on the line against Anthony Showtime Pettis. 
in a dangerous fight, as you mentioned. I, I absolutely love it, and and hopefully Ferguson doesn't realize a championship opportunity that night because that would mean that either Khabib or Connor was unable to compete. But I just love this lightweight foursome now that sits atop the pay-per-view at UFC 229. All right, atop the pay-per-view, UFC 232, end of the year. This was announced between our last show last Tuesday and our show today. Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunes, it shall be done. Nunes asked for some extra time to put on some weight for what is absolutely a super fight between champions here. Ask and you shall receive. So Amanda Nunes engaged to Nina Ansaroff, and she has a date with Chris Cyborg before the year is out. Your thoughts on the UFC featherweight championship fight coming up at 232? History in the making. This is the first female super fight in the UFC. Um, it, it, it is amazing. Listen, these are the only two ladies that can beat each other, in my opinion. You look at skill-wise, the experience that they have. Um, I don't know if there's anyone out there who could beat Amanda Nunes, and I don't think there's anyone out there who could beat Cyborg. Um, these two ladies can get it done. Uh, they have tremendous firepower. Um, they're strong for their divisions. They're big for their divisions. Uh, both uh, good on the ground. This is a fight that had to happen. They've been talking about it now for the last couple years. Uh, they both finally signed it, uh, signed on the dotted line, and uh, I'm happy that they did, man. This is a tremendous fight. And again, these are women who, who know how to deliver action. They've become a little bit more patient the last couple years. Uh, they would you know, typically take out their opposition with uh, tremendous ferocity, but they become more patient. They, they know how to uh, let their hands go and when to let their hands go. Uh, and when they do, they, they will most likely take you out. Um, this is a very interesting fight, and I think it's a little bit more difficult to call than, than people realize. Right, and I think the betting line will dovetail with that assessment. And, and it isn't Cyborg versus Rousey, but I think for a lot of mixed martial arts fans, this is the most excited they will ever be yeah. uh, for a women's fight. I cannot wait to see it. I can't wait to see the betting line when it comes out. I can't wait to see what type of physical changes Amanda Nunes has made in advance of this particular challenge. And for Chris Cyborg, Kenny, this will be the second time in as many years that she will headline that year-end showcase event for the UFC. And I give her a lot of credit for moving the pay-per-view needle and the UFC for having the confidence to give her that opportunity. But there's a lot of talk out there about Cyborg's fighting prime and how during her fighting prime, which she is experiencing right now, she can't fight every three months, right? Like she right. is as willing as any champion we have to get back in there on a regular schedule competing three or four times a year. And she cannot do that. From a monetary standpoint, you could argue the best thing for Cyborg would be to lose to Amanda Nunes so she can run it back with yeah. her, right? And ha like, so I know Chris Cyborg moves the needle, but if she wins this fight against Amanda Nunes and it's dominant, a lot of people are going to say the cupboard is bare for Cyborg once again. And, and can we say that this fight is really for legendary status? Because the, uh, yes. the, the woman who wins this fight is going to be the greatest female fighter ever in the UFC. I, I think it's pretty safe to say, based on the skills uh, that they possess and, and the women that they've beaten, um, I think that that's what's on the line even more than, than that belt. Yeah, no, I would agree. Chris Cyborg, Amanda Nunes coming up at the end of the year. I think it's December 28th or 29th, uh, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. All right, final thing before we go today. Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, 40 days out. 
So it seems like a lot of the masses feel like you have already picked Conor McGregor to win this fight. Yeah, I well, know you have. I well, I I don't well, know, but I I think I might deserve some blame okay. because I hinted on on our show <laughs> that it seemed to me that your early analysis was was moving in that direction. But 40 days out, um, you haven't made your determination. You haven't watched all the film, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you could absolutely go either way, and and. You really don't know where you're going to go come the first week of October. Listen, style. if anything, style-wise, I'm leaning towards Habib Nurmagomedov, so I, I find that interesting. But just mentally, this is a very different uh, fight than Habib has had to deal with. And, and, and now you look at these recent comments from Conor McGregor. Um, he, Conor McGregor, you know, this guy is like a psychologist. He, he looks at where you're weak or where you might be vulnerable or where, what might agitate you the most, and he goes at that. He goes at you repeatedly. He is going to poke that cut repeatedly. What is he? He's talking about the his relationship between the Dagestanis and the Chechens, and that's like a, you know, a long history of, let's say, bitterness and, and kind of a, you know, he's attacking that whole angle, and, and I think it's really smart on the, on the part of Conor McGregor in some ways. I think Habib's probably going to recognize that. He, he's a guy that's pretty cold-blooded, man. He doesn't really um, get phased by things like that, but if there's something he's going to get phased about, it's probably that kind of history, the Russian, Dagestani, Chechen history, uh, which Conor has been kind of... Um, attacking Habib with. He's starting to attack his father a little bit. So those are the right. things that uh, people from that culture are, are going to take offense to. Um, so Connor is starting to ramp it up a little bit psychologically on, on Habib Nurmagomedov. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how Habib deals with that. That's something he really hasn't had to deal with before. He had a little bit, obviously, with Tony Ferguson, um, but in, in a completely different way. You know, just trash talking. Uh, this is a different level. September is just going to rip off the calendar when we're here next week. We'll be previewing UFC 228 in the next pay-per-view. 40 days from right now, Habib versus McGregor on October 6th in Vegas. All right, Flo, short show today. We're going to get you out of here on that. You got 1215 class. May Rocky BJJ today. You going to be there? I do. Uh, I probably won't be there. I will be there tonight, though. I will be there tonight to train and teach. be there. Yes. Okay, be there to train and teach the fundamentals class. You see how I got that Rocky BJJ schedule on lockdown? You, you do. I'm waiting for you to show up, kid. Well, what Let's I was doing go. this morning was making sure that, that Rocky Beauty Studios was not stepping all over you, Johnson. You see, I'm looking out. <laughs> All right, quick show this week. Thank you for tuning in for it. Thank you to Ray Longo. Thank you to our great Fox Sports team behind the glass. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Have a great week. We are back in seven days' time. Full preview and Ken Flo's main card prediction for UFC 228. Woodley versus Till. Until then, have a great week, y'all. Don't text and drive. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. 